clergy often find themselves in a therapist's role. How are they trained, and does their treatment methods and outcomes differ because they are clergy? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Elena Vassallo, a licensed clinical professional counselor and member of the staff of the Center for Religion and Psychotherapy since 1991. Elena received her Master's of Divinity degree at the Divinity School of the University of Chicago, where she served as Associate Dean for 10 years. She is a fellow in the American Association of Pastoral Counselors and an ordained minister. Welcome to the show, Elena. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the center where you work and how it kind of differs from other mental health clinics. The center has just had its 40th anniversary and is one of the oldest pastoral counseling centers in the country. It was started by a group of clergy who were frustrated with their training uh, in terms of how well they were able to help the individuals in their parishes. I would say that it differs from most mental health clinics simply in the way that it is identified and has a mission, really, to provide psychotherapy that's sensitive to people's religious and spiritual lives. But what's practiced in any given conference room on any given day might not necessarily be any different at all than what's going on in the mental health clinic down the block. Well, how does it differ then from uh, strict Christian counseling? That, I think, is a much clearer distinction. Christian counseling, I think, would seek to involve religion, and in this case, Christian, the Christian religion, prescriptively, so that there would be an explicit engagement of the Bible, uh, perhaps the discipline of prayer, and of Christian theology in the conversation, regardless of what the client presented. The center practices a very classical psychoanalytic psychotherapy in the sense that the therapist never introduces content, rarely imposes uh, an agenda, uh, language that, that doesn't evolve from what the client presents. So there'd be no imposition of the religious language unless the client comes working with that to begin with. It's kind of a a religious center with a religious therapists, but if the client wants to bring religion up, uh, they'll be happy to, to discuss it, but that's not the main thrust. Well, interestingly, you'd find quite a range of therapists. Some of the therapists are practicing Christians, some are Jewish, and some studied religion only from a very academic perspective. They feel that they're interested and able to talk to people about their religious lives, but they don't necessarily have their own personal religious affiliation. It's my job to match the people who call mm -hmm. with a particular therapist that can best help them. Okay, so I call you up and I say, um, I am uh, bulimic and um, depressed. Who do you... And I, <laughs> yeah. and I've been praying like crazy and, it, and it's not working. Who do you match me up with? Well, in that case, I would match you up with someone who has experience working with eating disorders because they are very difficult, very challenging to treat. So that would be the most salient piece of information that that client would present to me. And then only if it was someone that said, I've been Catholic my entire life, I'm, you know, immersed in Catholicism, my uncle is a priest, 
I'd also look to see if we had someone that was either Catholic themselves or had a lot of experience working with Catholic clients. If that client needs medication, you, you, you do have psychiatrists oh, yeah. in your center, so they don't have to go all over the place. It's a kind of a one-stop shop. Well, they're not under our roof, but they're in close relationship with us, and we refer and work with psychiatrists all the time. Does the center have any sort of um, interest or practice of mindfulness, like uh, teaching meditation, kind of taking a Buddhist approach, which is not really a religion, but a way of thinking to kind of help people... Do you offer any sort of uh, services like that? We don't offer any extra clinical services such as that at this time, but that is something that we do periodically depending on the various therapists' interests. The center in this way is less of a center and more of a group practice, and whether that makes its way into the clinical perspective depends really on who you see. But as a center... We don't have a mission such as that at this time. Are there any studies that you're aware of that compare uh, your type of counseling with plain old um, regular psychotherapy and to see if one is better than the other? Not that I'm aware of. There's no head-to-head studies. I think the American Association of Pastoral Counselors would be probably armed with a lot of information such as this. I think the point that I would focus on is that Pastoral psychotherapy or pastoral counseling is somewhat obviously going to be more helpful to someone who comes and wants to talk about their religious and spiritual life, but not necessarily for someone who doesn't. And that I don't think there'd be a lot of interest on the part of pastoral psychotherapists to prove that they were more helpful because the inception of the organization really had more to do with helping people that were turning away from traditional psychotherapy because they didn't feel understood and who were sometimes turned away by therapists and analysts who just couldn't manage the content that they were bringing or really feel comfortable talking about their religious life. So I'm not sure I'd really even want to compare them. So it's something nice to know that it exists. And and prior to this interview, I I did not know this existed. And I I hope the physicians listening uh, realize that there, there are many things to offer their patients. And to try and uh, try and you know cherry pick who would who would do best for which type of therapy. I like to use the anecdote in terms of who you might refer to someone in our field. That two of my two sort of typical examples would be my very first client as a young clinician, who was a Catholic nun and had been in the order since she was 13 years old. She was 50 at the time that I met her, and who never once spoke about religion in the six years that we worked together. But you can be sure that this is someone who would never have darkened the doors of a psychotherapist's office that didn't have some religious credential or reference to religion in their title. I like to compare her to a recovering alcoholic who comes, who tells you they're not religious at all, but they're spiritual, and who is recovering in affiliation with the 12-step programs means that almost every word out of their mouth is imbued with this sense of spirituality that you find in the 12-step programs. And many people come to the center because they have a friend who saw so-and-so who said she was great, and they come through the door saying, we don't have to talk about religion if I don't want to, right? (laughs) And we say, right. Right. 
So let's talk about the nun. What uh, what did she come to see you for, and uh, what were you able to do for her? And tell me now she's cured. Well, actually, um, I don't know that I would say she was cured when she left. This was a person, as you can imagine, who joined the Holy Orders decades ago at the age of 13, who in classical psychoanalytic language was profoundly repressed. She had a new roommate, a sister in her order, who would walk around the apartment half-clad, and this was beyond disturbing to her and her reason for coming. What we accomplished, I think, goes back to the question of why is it helpful to talk to somebody, where she was able to express thoughts that she didn't express to anyone else, hear them out loud, be affirmed that these were normal thoughts and feelings, that it's okay to have these thoughts and feelings, and just given room in the clinical setting, I think, to become more of who she needed to be and to expand a bit in terms of what she was comfortable with. Cured? I don't know. Well, we're in the healthcare profession, not the healthcare profession. Yeah. So very, very few people get better. They yeah. get better. They get better, but there's not a whole lot of cures out there. Um, I was wondering if you could um, teach me a little bit about the acceptance prayer, and if there is a, um, if if there's some sort of correlate to insight psychotherapy that it actually kind of relieves suffering when you when you do kind of accept your own situation. Yeah, I think accept your situation. I think in psychotherapy, it amounts more to accepting yourself. I think that's the greatest thing that you can accomplish, not so much the situation, but yourself, your limitations. Yes, your mother was narcissistic. No, you never will have the mother you wanted. Yes, this means you struggle with intimacy in your marriage, and it can be okay anyway because a lot of what we suffer from is not so much our limitations, but the idea, the way in which we judge and and struggle with our limitations as if they shouldn't be there. And I think self-acceptance is the key to a much freer and more joyful life. So um, I, can, you, can you go through the, do you know the prayer? Not very, not, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't recite it for you offhand, but I know... To what you're referring. Okay. Um, you mean the serenity prayer, correct, right? Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah, grant me the courage to accept, to accept what I cannot change and change what I can. And I think it's profound. I think it, in, and, you know, often when people ask me why I do what I do, the longer that I practice, I just have come to believe that the greatest struggles that we have are transcendent struggles. And that the answers to the the things we struggle with most, most of them are somewhat transcendent, to which I don't necessarily refer to a God outside us or a higher power or anything necessarily, um, you know, the theological term would be ontologically real. But I do feel that if all we spend our time with is the struggle to be better people and better selves without any reference to what we're doing here and what gives us meaning and how limited and helpless we ultimately are, I think it's a prescription for struggle lifelong, and that in some way you have to learn to let go. Where can a doctor go on the Internet to learn more about your field? Two things. The American Association of Pastoral Counseling is really the mother organization, and they can talk to you more about the discipline 
as well as uh, give you a center if you punch in your zip code. You won't always find, it's certainly not the same thing no matter where you go. Pastoral Counseling Center in Connecticut, that's uh, the staff of which is comprised by all ordained Protestant clergy and that doesn't claim to do pastoral psychotherapy will provide something different than, for instance, we do. Chicago's quite a psychoanalytically oriented town, so the center was started by a bunch of Protestant clergy who were all trained in psychoanalytic disciplines and who became more psychoanalytic than pastoral in a lot of ways. So you have to ask some questions and find out exactly what you're going to get but you can always find a center. Most parts of the country you'll find, if not a center, somebody with the credential. Elena Vassalo, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.